We are back for another week in the world of SASTA with me, Harry Stebbings, and it'd be fantastic to see you on Instagram. You can find me there at hstebbings1996, and there you can suggest questions for future episodes and have the opportunity to suggest guests also. However, to the show today, and today we feature an episode from SASTA Annual 2018. So joining me, I was very proud to have the chance to interview Steve Lucas, CEO at Marketo, the world leader in marketing automation for companies of any size. And prior to their IPO and eventual sale to Vista Equity Partners for $1.79 billion, they raised over $100 million in VC funding from the likes of Battery Ventures, IVP, Mayfield, and Lead Edge Capital, just to name a few. And as for Steve, prior to joining Marketo, he served in many leadership positions at SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft, Business Objects, and Crystal Decisions. And if that wasn't enough, Steve also sits on the boards of TiVo and SendGrid and the American Diabetes Society. However, before we dive into the show today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business. And that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more, allowing you to see a 360-degree view of your reputation across the web. With their robust API, that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. And you can head over to Reviews.io now and sign up for your free trial. And if trust is a core element of any business, so is communication. And that's where Dialpad come in, the startup that offers teams a better path to unify communications. Build your voice with a business phone system, meetings, call center, and voice AI, connecting your team across all existing devices. And that's why over 50,000 of the most innovative companies in the world choose Dialpad, from WeWork to Uber to Stripe. Whether you're a one office company with less than 100 people to the names listed above, Dialpad has got you covered. So put your team and communication first and head over to dialpad.com to find out more. And finally, thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS, MyStudio Academy. MyStudio provides membership management software for the mobile world, enabling them to sell memberships, events, and retail 24-7. This is why more than 1,400 membership-based studios use it to serve more than 30,000 members. And you can learn more at mystudio.academy. That's mystudio.academy. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like my studio did, visit wepay.com forward slash sasta. And wepay's got this incredible cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Again, that's wepay.com forward slash sasta. However, that is more than enough of me. So I'm now delighted to hand over to Steve Lucas, CEO at Marketo. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. I'd love to kick off today with a little bit about you and how you came to be CEO of Marketo and really that entrance into this very wonderful world. Okay. I borderline obsessed with Marketo and, and the, the whole marketing automation and MarTech segment. It's, it's massive. But prior to Marketo, I was at SAP for seven years running their platform group, which was products like HANA all the way to analytics. And we grew that over seven years from about 800 million to 4 billion-ish uh, in license revenue, so good job. And uh, you know, for me, I, th- I think it was a felt like a calling to get back a little bit to my roots, to a slightly smaller company. And that's not saying much because there's a lot of smaller companies than <laughs> SAP. Um, but uh, you know, also a high desire to uh, 
to be CEO, I kind of felt like, you know, you get to that point in your career where you just feel too comfortable and you're like, you know what? I'm too comfortable today. I need to put everything at risk in my entire life. And uh, I don't uh, think I've got that yet, Steve. I'm going to be yeah, honest. I, I prefaced the news to my wife with this is not a midlife crisis, but um, and she was completely supportive. So it's great. I'd love to hear though, kind of building SAP to that four billion mark and then moving kind of yeah. to Marketo. What were the learnings that you took from kind of that? move to Marketo and having had that experience at SAP? Well, I think a lot of things. I think number one, and, and I learned this lesson not just at SAP, I learned it at salesforce.com and I have to take my hat off to, to Mr. Benioff because I, my life-changing experience for me was my time at Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark is a master of relevance. He knows how to be relevant to his customers. And it's something that, you know, I spent a lot of time focusing on at SAP was not talking about, you know, your products and how excited you are about what you're thinking about, but what are your customers thinking about? Understanding their pain and ultimately how are they going to be successful? Because it's, it is not the thing that you have. It's because at the end of the day, that's just a tool. It's the thing to get to the thing, right? That mm-hmm. quote from Halt and Catch Fire, but it's, uh, it, but it, it's, um, it's about making your customer wildly successful. And I learned that lesson over and over and over again, certainly at Salesforce, practiced it at SAP, and, and also learned, um, I think a little bit differently that uh, I, I'm a big believer in accessibility. It's one of the things that, uh, this, and this is not an indictment against larger companies, but when you run a company or run a division of a company where there's billions of dollars and you're getting all these emails and tweets and things on LinkedIn and just, you know, it's blah, mass hysteria kind of a thing. I actually love that. I, I, you know, some of my employees that work for me now don't love that, but I do. I love the, the connective tissue that we live in, you know, is surrounding us in this world. I love that I can get connected from somebody half a world away that's got a great idea and he just wants to be able to, to reach me and talk to me and I'm inspired by her or him. And I love that. I love being accessible. And I think that the world of the inaccessible, self-elevated CEO Gotta go away. So, sorry, completely off schedule here. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of accessible. Well, CEO. you're in the, the desk. So I'm, I'm in the desk. Yeah. So I can try. Ask me. But in terms of that accessible CEO, one thing that always really intrigues me is kind of vulnerability and, and transparency within the role of CEO without being too transparent and vulnerable. How does how do you, you think about that with kind of you know hundreds and, and thousands of employees? How many employees, uh, Marketo? Uh, we have about 1,400 employees. So how do you kind of balance that kind of human, vulnerable CEO with then the ever-present strong leader that we're always presented with? Well, I think that it's, so it's a fine line to walk, right? But there's nothing wrong with being human. I was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes when I was 24 years old, and I'm 45 now. It was a unique experience for me because it, w- it was life-altering in that, A, I realized I'm not perfect, um, and uh, even though my wife reminded me constantly that I'm not, so, but, but uh, you know, number one and number two, you do a lot of contemplation about um, other people. How can you better empathize? I'll tell you, I've uh, I've had it for 21 years. I'm, I'm a member of the uh, board of the American Diabetes Association, that kind of thing. I consider it my greatest gift, if you will, or blessing in life because it forced me to think about people other than myself. And frankly, I was like. 
I'm on track. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to be CEO. You guys get out of my way. I'm focused. Like, we're doing this thing. And that was a big pause moment for me in my life to really think about, you know, everything from mortality to whatever. And I, I, the reality is, is I've had so many amazing experiences by not letting a chronic illness like uh, type 1 diabetes, um, which can be perceived as a weakness. People like to hide those things. They do. And I think it's a strength because I'm inspired by people that have overcome really hard things that have beaten obstacles. And those are the people that inspire me. And all of us have those challenges in our lives. We all do. And so for me, um, I think if anything, I've been, it has forced me to empathize more. And um, I think I'm, you know, I've become a better person because of the people that have come into my life because of this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, making the very uh, seamless transition from kind of mortality to the MarTech landscape. Yeah, by the way, uh, but I still feel I'm a very sensitive person. So just, Absolutely. Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> but making that seamless transition, I want to start to say kind of with the proliferated landscape, the 5,000 vendors that we now have in MarTech, yeah. when you look at the map, it's, it's quite simply astonishing. So talk to me about that and starting from kind of the meta. How do you think about that when you see such a vast array today? Well, you, you said it. I mean, the, the MarTech landscape, so marketing technology, whether it's B2B or B2C, is ridiculously fractured. It is. 5,000 plus vendors. Basically, there's, you know, and, and part of the, the beauty of cloud is that there's a very low cost to entry. I literally, several months ago, had a CEO of a company that is building ad tech for smartwatches call me up and try and sell me the company. And so that's when I knew, like, okay, we've lost our stuff here a little bit in, in MarTech. If we're getting down to like that level of ridiculous granularity in terms of what people are building, um, there's undoubtedly going to be consolidation. There has to be. Um, you can't have, I mean, most of these companies aren't even, they're not companies, they're barely products, they're probably features. Um, but there's this massive influx of investment into MarTech and we're starting to see some interesting trends in terms of, uh, you know, revenue come out of those companies, but consolidation has to happen. Can I ask, how do you differentiate between a product company and maybe a kind of core systems of record potential company? Is there that kind of inflection point between the two? Yeah. And can one start as a product company and then kind of expand that suite? Yeah, I, I think it starts with, you know, kind of what's your vision and what, what are you trying to solve, right? If, and, and the reality is, is that I think that the reason you have 5,000 plus MarTech companies is that they're they're not trying to solve something big enough. Mm -hmm. The temptation is just too easy to go, you know, go to B to C and, you know, do something in ad tech. There's too much of that. And I think what we need is we need, you know, the, the reality is, is that we need the world's engineers and even in this country, so not just the world's engineers, but even in this country, we need to be focused on inventing incredibly highly valuable solutions for the world. I think, look, I'm not knocking, I, yay, Snapchat. I love it. The little, um, not the prairie dog, uh, it's not a pretty dark filter. It's the, there's some cat filter. <laughs> Terrific. But the, but the thing is, like, there's enough Snapchats. The, the reality is, is that to build lasting, meaningful value, what the MarTech landscape, frankly, is missing is real product with uh, and companies that have a strong vision where they're obsessed with the customer, solving a real problem for the marketer, not another cat filter. And when you do that, when, you, when you're obsessed over your customer, the marketer, and you intimately understand their problems, their challenges, things like, I have now 50 different apps in my MarTech landscape. How do I even get these things to talk to each other and get a single view of the customer? But when you understand the, the plight of the marketer and, uh, and you're solving that, you create real value. 
And so I think that part of it is just the company orientation around, do you have a strong vision? Are you, are you trying to drive and create real value? And, and like, you know, how many concentric circles out are you in terms of the, the, the bigness of your vision and what you're trying to solve? Uh, one thing that always kind of intrigues me in vision is kind of you've got the piece teal in, in one segment, sometimes talking about kind of hyper-local in the early days and really focusing on kind of nailing that small niche. And then you also want to have the big vision. And so when pitching investors and for kind of early stage founders, how do you get that balance of attracting that big vision, but also not being too big vision, so to speak. Yeah, well, I, I think that you can, I mean, first of all, you, you, you should, should never be afraid to, or, or, or fear being tactical, right? But at the end of the day, you have to start with a big story. And I think that it, it's thinking about, you know, where, where is the world going? Where is it headed? And like when I, so I'll translate this into early stage in a minute. When I think about the world of where market, where marketing is headed, what marketers need, I truly believe, and I believe this, like it's deep rooted that we are headed to a time and a place in a world where the, the marketer will kind of merge with the machine, if you will. And I'm not obsessed over this. isn't like I'm trying to be buzzword compliant and say AI too much. <laughs> but I do believe that um, the marketer uh, is, we're, we're going to be in this just kind of almost, you know, renaissance, if you will, renewal, where the marketer will be able to leverage the machine to intimately connect with individuals aided by a machine. The, the hard part for the marketer today is, is this, is how do I personally connect with every one of my not 500 customers or 500,000 or even 5 million, it could be 50 million now. Yeah. So personalized experiences at scale, massive challenge. Now, if you translate that into an early stage company and how do I create a, you know, a big vision but not too big, I think the balance is... Um, it starts with understanding the problem, clearly articulating your TAM or total addressable market. Like if you take a look at, and I'm not knocking uh, markets, I, I'll just be radically transparent. It's one of Marketo's values. If you look at a market like ABM, account-based marketing, mm -hmm. super hot right now. Everybody likes saying it. Like, And anyone that was doing marketing, they just put account in front of it now based. And suddenly it's like they're charging twice what they were yesterday because it's account-based now. But really, what have you done to make that change? The reality is, is that the total addressable market right now for ABM's $300 million, $200, $200 million, yeah. it's not that big, but yet you see all these companies rushing in as ABM and ABM and ABM. If you take a step back from that and say, well, what's the total addressable market for just say B2B marketing, you know, kind of platform as a case in point, which is a little bit bigger. It's about $14 billion, right? So I think it's making sure that your vision matches up with a, a, a TAM and, and also we, we know TAM expands over time, but making sure that you have the you have the connectedness with your customer intimately to understand how things are going to break. Because yeah, ABM's hot today, but will it be relevant, you know, two years from now, or will that just be a feature that is part of lots of platforms? Mm -hmm. You speak about kind of connectedness with customers. It kind of makes me interested in terms of whether founders should start SMB and scale up to enterprise or enterprise and scale down. Obviously, both the challenging, but especially kind of at scale, managing SMB relationships with generally a lot more right. is traditionally challenging. How do you think about that and for founders debating whether to start enterprise with higher ACVs compared to you know, a much wider SMB market? How would you think about that today? Well, it's always easier to start small. It is. Um, you know, small you, in terms of number of clients? Small or? in terms of, you know, SMB, you know, because the, the reality is, is arch, I mean, it's architectures for products that serve small to medium businesses have to, to be able to scale out massively. They don't have to scale up massively. That's generally the way it works. And it's the exact opposite for an enterprise 
enterprise type technology needs to be able to scale up massively and, and eventually scale out massively. It's just easier to start for the SMB. But I see, I think that there's this just temptation to kind of start in SMB and then just go, we'll figure out this scalability thing. And I can assure you, you know, like Marketo, we just went through a massive replatform. Uh, I've been at the company about a year and a half and came in and made a, a, a decision to move the entirety of Marketo to Google Cloud Platform. Now, first and foremost, that's actually going to save Marketo, which is kind of a good thing, um, hundreds of millions of dollars over the next several years. So that's great in and of itself. But we had to make that move and get off of the architecture that Marketo was on um, if we were going to really meet the needs of our largest enterprise customers, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Google as a customer, Facebook, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, it's so easy to make that choice. My only counsel to, you know, people out there that are building solutions is don't just think about, we'll get it in market and we'll solve the architecture for the enterprise tomorrow if that's where you see your product going. You need to have conversations with people that have been there, that have walked that path, that have gone through the pain, and it is painful moving from an SMB-oriented architecture to an enterprise architecture. Build that into your plan. Can I ask, with such a kind of transformational decision, what does that decision-making process look like for you internally with the dilemma presented? I mean, it was not, that's, that's not something that you choose, uh, make a, a decision uh, around lightly. Yeah. And the short version of the story is, you know, when I came into Marketo, um, I asked a simple question. It was my third day on the job. I was like, hey, all you guys, how's it going? What are we looking at in terms of our, our uh, infrastructure investment over the next five years? What does that look like? Did some homework, came back, and uh, we own our, all of our server infrastructure today. That's why we're making the move. So we, we're going to be selling about 7,000 servers on eBay coming up here pretty quick. But um, when we looked at that, what came back to me was, well, we're probably going to spend around $350 million over the next five years, CapEx and OpEx. Mm -hmm. so after I got up off the floor, you know, I said, okay, it's time for us to move the company to this new 2017 thing going on with Google, Amazon, Microsoft. And we looked at all the different technologies, GCP, AWS, Azure, and they all are um, great platforms, all have their clear benefits. It was fairly clear seeing this convergence between ad tech and MarTech that's definitely a, a, a trend. That will ha that's where the puck is going. Yeah. That Google was was undoubtedly the right partner for Marketo. So beyond that, I mean, the, the financials are kind of stark, but it, it really wasn't the financials because AWS Azure could have been compelling for a lot of reasons, but our technology really aligned well to Google. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're re-architecting on uh, Spanner and a, you know, a bunch of other interesting things. And, and so for us, that, as well as it's a much shorter drive down the 101, added up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do, we, we kind of started on the Martech landscape, kind of drilling down one layer deeper. We were chatting before and you said that uh, CRMs, uh, maybe you don't feel that they're complete, so to speak. I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on, on that and why you feel there's, there's still progression within the CRM landscape. Yeah. I just think the acronym's wrong. Okay. Why? Well, customer relationship management. Like, you're telling your customer, I'm going to manage you. Like, if somebody called you up and said, hi, how are you? I'm, a, I'm, I'm about to manage you. I would say, hello, Jason Lemkin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, or, uh, or, you know, in, in a relationship, I, I don't want to be uh, managed. I want to be engaged. There's a huge difference between the two. And I, I think that there has been this massive shift in the needs and wants of buyers. This is all of us. We're all buyers. We buy things. Yeah. 
We don't want to be sold to. When's the last time you got up in the morning and you're like, I got to check Gmail, I got to check Gmail so I can delete 47 emails that I don't want. It's so irrelevant these days. And, you know, so spam is just kind of like this passe, you know, blah, blah. We just kind of gloss over it. But it's astounding how many companies still don't get it. They're just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep emailing you until you buy something. I'm going to, I'm going to sell to you. I'm going to market to you. But we want to be engaged with. We want to feel like the companies that we do business with, they understand who we are. They value us. They understand my personal preferences. They understand that just because I bought a baby carrier doesn't mean that we're expecting a baby or just because I bought a tent doesn't mean I like camping. I hate camping. So do I. Yeah. Camping for me is like the whole reason we don't camp anymore is because beds were invented. So <laughs> um, the, the reality is, but yet I've been marketed to from this one company, I won't say who it is, that, you know, all like camping gear and they will not stop. So we've got to transition to what I would consider to be uh, customer engagement, not customer relationship management. It doesn't mean CRM is wrong. CRM, amazing system of record. It's just incomplete. And so I think you're going to see this transition from CRM to CEM if we need to come up with an acronym. I don't know if we need to, but I'd like some credit for it if it's used. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that the companies that will win will be the ones that can, of, of course, engage human to human. That's not going away. But as we scale, I mean, as companies, we just reached unprecedented scale today. And, you know, you start to have, you have to ask yourself, not how am I going to engage with maybe the 500 customers I have today, but how am I going to keep that level of personal engagement when I have 500,000 or 5 million or beyond and you need systems, platforms, technologies? Yes, like what Marketo's building, but our, our, our vision is not automate email. Our vision is not you tweet something, we auto respond. That's not, that's nothing. The, 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 our vision is to build a system which is what we're delivering, that understands who you are, what you value, why you do the things that you do. And instead of sending you 200,000 emails this year, it send you one. But that one is so valuable, you, you want that email. You, you know, it's, it's a pull model. I want to be engaged. And there are companies out there that are doing some really brilliant things with that. Last month, I got two emails from Netflix. Two. That was it. And those two were very relevant. They were like, hey, man, you should watch Narcos and you should watch um, Halt and Catch Fire. So it was like, okay, uh, you know, because it seems that whatever the algorithm is, is clearly, you know, figured out my brain. They're terrific. Loved them. And I was like, wow. So I actually pay attention to those communications because they mean something to me. So you mentioned AI earlier as the buzzword. Is that then the kind of true integration of AI where it can create that highly engaged relationship with the customer at mass scale? Well, yeah. And yeah. And and the thing, though, to be careful of is I think today there's, you know, there's this temptation where so everybody builds it. Here's Here's what I have viewed as the standardized play for artificial intelligence, which was launched by IBM, right? They built something, they named it Watson, and so then now everybody builds something and then they name it something, right? So you've got to, so I have refused to name our AI technology anything. It's just AI. And it's gonna I'm I'm sorry, I just I can't do it. But I think that the the play of building something that is sort of like ambiguous and then you name it doesn't create value. I still and I'm I'm not knocking IBM, but I haven't showed up in the doc 
doctor's office yet. Like I've seen the commercial, right? Where Watson's talking to the doctor. I haven't seen that yet in my doctor's office. What I think we need to do is focus on very discrete problems, like build a big vision for AI, but focus on discrete problems or opportunities. So a, a great case in point is uh, for marketers that run very complex processes or workflows to retain their top customers. That's a, that's a thing. It's a very common thing. We have customers that have human-defined processes that run in Marketo with literally like 2,000 steps to them. If this happens, do that. It's all rules-based. It's all human-defined. And we've introduced some AI technology that reduces the effort to change and modify that campaign to be more relevant to you over time. And that solves a very specific problem or addresses an acute need, raises the relevance. And that's just, just the beginning. So I think the challenge is, is that we've, we've got like this big grand thinking and we're going to have this one AI, you know, thing, and then it's going to tell us that the solution is, is like in, you know, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is going to be like 42, and then it's going to be anticlimactic. And we need to get to um, the point where we're solving very specific acute needs today with a larger vision for how we piece all these things together. Look, AI is the game changer. It's here. In, and especially in marketing, whether it's predictive uh, lead scoring or it's, uh, you know, uh, content creation where it's personalizing content on demand, it's here. It's happening. Two or three years from now, AI will be the dominant tool, not just in marketing, but certainly the dominant tool in the front office. It, it will be. People, I don't think anybody sees it coming and it'll, it's, it's going to be massive. Last question before we do a quick fire round. You said about kind of the dominant tool in the front office. With the, the ever-increasing importance on everything that we've discussed today and reaching that customer and being highly engaged. How do you view the role of the CMO in the coming years as potentially the most important in the C-suite? Would you agree with that? There's two kinds of CEOs. There's CEOs that view their CMO as go generate leads and I'm going to you know, hit you with a stick until you generate more leads. That is the CEO failing not just the CMO but the entirety of the marketing organization and frankly the world. Then there's the CMOs that partner directly with the CMO. They're, all, they're, they're almost the second CEO. They're the chief engagement officer and that's the, the CMO that is curating and architecting the experience of the customer. Because that's what it's about. It's about curating architecting, meeting the customer on their terms, not yours. And the onus is on businesses today to meet the customer wherever they are in their journey. A couple facts. So a um, number of studies have been done. Five years ago, the number of touch points that a customer would go out and research on you as a company before they ever talked to your salesperson was four. That's up to six now, and it's going to continue going. So we have this trend going up. That means the marketer has to engage, curate experience way before salespeople ever talk to them because they've made up their mind beforehand. That's that's the reality of the, whether it's B2C or B2B selling environment that we live in. But here's what's at odds with that. If you look at the research from Corn Ferry, um, the tenure of the CMO is the shortest in the C-suite. So it makes no sense whatsoever um, to say to the CMO, I need you to drive experience and transformation and be my business partner, but I'm probably going to fire you in 18 months. It doesn't make any sense at all. So we, we need CEOs to step up to the plate, elevate the, the CMO to the chief engagement officer or a chief experience officer and really commit to uh, commit to that long term. Okay, so we have three minutes. I want to do a quick fire round with you yep. now. So I say a short statement. You give me your immediate thoughts. Okay. Let's see how we can do in three minutes. So management upgrades is the most important role of CEO. Agree or disagree? Agree. Why? It is not about the CEO. The character of the company is defined by the leadership team. 
We've seen too many companies out there uh, with, we'll just say, unfortunate behavior, especially uh -huh. in the tech world. And the reality is, is that if that was just the CEO, that's an easy fix. We have to, leaders have to lead, and it starts with the CEO. What keeps you up at night, Steve? What are the big thoughts in your head? Well, if I take Ambien, nothing keeps me up. I can tell <laughs> you, like, I am out. Um, but, uh, and I just, wherever I am in eight hours is where I'm going to wake up. Um, but, uh, but what keeps me up at night is, are we relevant? That question plagues me it, all the time. I'm, I'm obsessed with, are we relevant to our customer? What signifies that? Is that, is revenue? I don't think revenue has anything to do with it, actually. I mean, it's a great, it's, and I've thought through that. I think it's a question of, you know, if share of mind, share of heart, it's, it's part of that. First of all, you need to constantly measure, 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 ask questions around your rel relevance of your, you know, to your customer. Mm -hmm. Are we relevant? Like, I, my question to you is, how many of you have, you know, called up 10 of your customers every month and said, are we relevant to you? Such a powerful question. And we don't ask it enough. But there, there's, there's layers to that. It's like a parfait. You know, you just keep, I, I haven't found the bottom of the parfait yet or cake. <laughs> and then final one that I have to ask, what do you know now that you'd wish you'd known when you started started what, what, what well, you start can you can choose a couple it could be started on the first day of marketo it could have been started at sap it could have been started in your first day in SaaS. but what do you know now that you wish you'd known at one of those points i say this a lot it's a little you know phrase of mine be brave be fast be bold right you know the ultimately fortune rewards the, the the brave and the bold it does it's a it's been around for a while but anytime uh i've worked at any company where someone that i'm working with is about people because great companies are about great people they're not technically about great software it's about great people that's what makes companies sing um it doesn't matter who you are or where you are um when i came to marketo it was very clear to me i'm i'm the new ceo not everybody was all in and the reality is is that i would encourage you know for anybody out there is just ask people, be direct with them, be straight. Are you in? Are you in on this journey with me? Are we in it together, right? Mm -hmm. Find the people that are passionate about that are saying yes, that are leaning in and give them big problems to solve. Give them big opportunities to chase and do it fast. Don't wait for the people that are like, oh, I don't know, this is a fence, I'm sitting on it. Don't wait for those people to come around and say yes, don't. And if I would go back in time, even just a year and a half, a year and a half ago, I tell myself, go faster. Well, I think on the theme of go faster and uh, fortune favors the bold, uh, thank you so much uh, for today. It was such a pleasure. That was a great chat. Thank you. I mean, what an incredible guest to have on the show there. And I want to say a huge thanks to Steve for being so open and transparent. And it really was one of the highlights of the whole Sastra experience for me. So a big hand to him for that. And if you'd like to see more from Steve, you can follow him on Twitter at nstevenlucas. That really is a must. Likewise, we'd love to see you behind the scenes here at Sastra. You can find us on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It'd be awesome to see you there. But before we leave you today, we all know that trust is a key component to the success of any business. And that's where Reviews.io comes in. Reviews.io is a Google-trusted third-party review platform and is the only platform in the world which collects, monitors, and publishes reviews to Google, Bing, Facebook, Amazon, and more, allowing you to see a 360-degree view of your reputation across the web. With their robust API, that allows you to manage your reputation automatically while achieving the industry's highest review collection. Reviews.io is perfect for any business that's looking to increase conversions, build customer trust, and increase visibility on Google. And you can head over to Reviews.io now 
now and sign up for your free trial. And if trust is a core element of any business, so is communication. And that's where Dialpad come in, the startup that offers teams a better path to unify communications. Build your voice with a business phone system, meetings, call center, and voice AI, connecting your team across all existing devices. And that's why over 50,000 of the most innovative companies in the world choose Dialpad, from WeWork to Uber to Stripe. Whether you're a one-office company with less than 100 people to the names listed above, Dialpad has got you covered. So put your team and communication first and head over to dialpad.com to find out more. And finally, thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS, MyStudio Academy. MyStudio provides membership management software for the mobile world, enabling them to sell memberships, events, and retail 24-7. This is why more than 1,400 membership-based studios use it to serve more than 30,000 members. And you can learn more at mystudio.academy. That's mystudio.academy. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments, like MyStudio did, visit wepay.com forward slash Sasta. And WePay's got this incredible cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Again, that's wepay.com forward slash Sasta. As always, we so appreciate all your support, and I cannot wait to bring you next week's episode.